Thank you, Brianne, for so capably representing the whole choir for us today. Man, good stuff. I want you to know, if you weren't aware of it, that this week is my 90 days with you here at Resurrection Church. If you're not keeping track of time, but we're aware of it because we do those usual things, 90-day evaluations and all that sort of stuff, to say, how are you doing? And I thought we would visit that a little bit this morning as we get into Solomon. And one of the things I wanted to remind you of is how we started. And this is Candidate Week. Before I got to know, I was here with you full-time. And so I asked Mark to cue up this video that I played that first week I was here. And I'll watch it and pay attention. See if you remember. Okay, then Lauren's going to catch you. Okay, it's called the trust fall. Okay, trust fall. Ready, set, go. <laughs> Y'all remember that? Y'all remember that? That delightful young woman whose family is trying to get her into a new question or step, can you trust us? And they prepare and they get all around the backside of her and then she falls flat on her face in the front. <laughs> Well, you know, I hoped that day when I showed that video that that wasn't going to be me. You know, and thankfully it hasn't proven to be so yet. But I want to start there and bring us to today because we've been doing this series called Enter the Story. You've know, heard those little clips of where we are in the Bible story. And since I was here that day, we started with Moses. And we asked a question that day. You know, can the people trust at all? They've been slave people. You know, what it's going to be like to not be slaves anymore. Can they leave what they know that's familiar? Can they lean into something new? Can they learn to trust Moses? And we know that they go ahead and do that. God sent some wonderful flamboyant signs, and they were able to trust and lean into something new. Okay, so we started with Moses in that story, and we stayed with Moses a couple of weeks. We got into the wilderness, and the people were still asking that question about trust, you know. Are we going to have enough food? Are we going to have enough water? And God starts them off easy. Every morning you're going to have food, right? Manna from heaven. But they had to learn to trust that. And then God tested them, you know, for Sabbath. Now you have to trust me for two days. You know, and for people who don't know anything about trust, that's a big step, right? Two days worth of trust. Some of them made it, some of them didn't. Some did just like that young woman, just went shh, smack right in the sand on their face. And then 40 days, when Moses was up on the mountain, they had to learn to trust 40 days. Well, smack again. So the people were having a hard time with that very first question, can we trust or not? And each time they sort of fell. Well, I want to tell you it's our job to fall, because if we don't fall, if we don't try, and if we don't fall, then we're just not growing any. I loved one of my psychology professors who talked about development in young people, kids, toddlers going up, and he said, you know, falling is important stuff. You know, walking is nothing more than a series of managed falls. A series of managed falls. Get up again and start walking again. Developmental psychology. Well, trust is the first thing we have to learn in life. And we have to learn that it's okay to fall and to get up and keep going again. Now, we went on through the story. They had other questions they had to learn. It took them 40 years, 40 years in the wilderness, and then they got Joshua. So they had to learn, can we transfer trust? You know, 
Moses has been okay, but can we transfer trust? Is it okay in change? Can I still trust things when things are changing? Have you ever gotten a little rattled when things change? Started running around? You know, we stopped and celebrated Easter in the middle of this story, and we learned that the disciples ran all the way around looking for Jesus because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. And Jesus was on the loose change in the world. You know, so can we trust even when things are changing? They had to have that question. So they had these big signs again. God got, got flamboyant all over again and brought them through the water again so that they could trust in a change. And then they had another developmental question as they got into that promised land. We've been in the deserts by ourselves all this time. We know who we are. What happens when we get around people who aren't like us? How do we know who we are? when we're around people not like us. What does that mean we have to do? Okay, and how will we be God's faithful people? And at that moment in time, they decided that meant they had to annihilate everyone. Have you seen some of our folks do that from time to time? I can hold my Bible higher than you can and hit you a lot harder with it. <laughs> you know, we have to annihilate one another. We can't allow your understanding of God and what Christ is calling you to do to be alongside my understanding. You know, so these are lessons we keep learning. Can we be ourselves and let you be you? That's huge lesson. Have you learned that in your like fours and sixes and on up and continue learning it in your fifties? You know, that same developmental question. So we keep going with these people, these people who are learning how to be God's people through this journey. They're in a new land, and they keep moving forward. Then Joshua goes, and they have to learn, gosh, can we be a people without a hero? Do we always need someone to rescue us? Can we be strong enough on our own? I don't know about you, but I've seen a lot of teenagers running around, and they're always looking for someone to follow. They get real nervous if, you know, their hair's not just right or they're not wearing the right kind of shoes. I had to argue with my nephew one time because his mom brought him a new pair of shoes for like $60, but the, the sole on them was like a quarter of an inch too thick. And he wouldn't wear them because that meant he wouldn't fit in, in his mind. He wouldn't fit in and be just like everyone else. So we have some of those teenage lessons that we learn and keep learning all through life. Man, oh man, keeps hitting us decade after decade, maybe at a deeper level, maybe at the same level if we haven't learned it the first time around, those teenage years. And I know some of us LGBT folks, we revert to teenage years when we come out. If you didn't do that, you might have saw someone who did it. You know? learning those lessons with these people of faith. As they go along even a little bit farther, you know, God keeps asking those questions with them. And they say, we want so much to be like everyone else, we need a king. Everyone else has a king. Mama, they let them do it, why can't I do it? Daddy, they don't have a curfew, why do I need a curfew? Look, those other people, they have kings. We need a king. And so we've been trying out kings now in this developmental process. We tried heroes first, 
And now we're trying kings to see if that can help us along the way, what we're going to be doing, and how are we growing. And so this morning we asked the question, how goes it with those kings? God told them, you know, watch out. Well, here it is. King David did a good job military-wise, but he had some problems, right? You know? Now we get to Solomon. How goes it with those kings? What is the lesson we need to learn today? You know, so if you haven't been following along, these people are growing just like you or me growing. And they keep asking new questions each time it comes along. You know, what are the questions for this moment and this time? And unfortunately, even as adults, we have to go back and visit some of the basic ones. Can we trust? Can we be among people different than us? Do we always have to have a hero? Can't a king take all the responsibility and make sure everything's okay? And we don't have to worry about it ourselves. Some of these basic developmental questions. As we go through the scripture, it's our story. It's the people of faith's story as we get there. And so, Solomon, good grief, Solomon. You know, he had the golden spoon in his mouth when he woke up, right? And some people say the whole of scripture to this point, the Moses, the Joshua, the way they talk about David, got written sometime during or after Solomon's reign, and that all of this finally got written and put down so that you knew that Solomon was supposed to be the king. So when they write about David, they write about David in such a way that you know that he's Solomon's father. When they write about Bathsheba, they write about Bathsheba in such a way that you know that it's Solomon's mother, but it wasn't the child born in adultery. You know, so they say the way all the stories are kept and the way all the stories are written during Solomon's court and the court immediately following him to get it ready for him. You know, so you know the victors write history? You know, so in our scripture, the people wrote history to make Solomon look as good as possible. But they also told a little bit of truth. So he started off wise as a young person. Give me wisdom, God. Sounds pretty good, right? He started off good. But man, I had a seminary professor that said he started off as a wise young man and ended up an old fool. A wise young man and ended up an old fool. How many wives? Did y'all catch it? Yeah, all together, wives and concubines. I think it was 300 wives and 700 concubines. Do you think somewhere around life 276, he might have said, I have enough? <laughs> you know, concubine 667, uh, you know, this, this is enough. You know, somehow he just didn't ever ask that question of himself. And there wasn't a Nathan. We don't hear the story about a Nathan, the prophet, who called David into account. We don't hear a story about Samuel coming in saying, no, this is wrong. So we hear Solomon just kind of being on his own and gathering, gathering. Let me try some of this, let me try some of that. Let me try some of this too. And this and this. You know, and so the question we have today is, boy, gosh, what is enough? You know, developmentally, we have to ask that of ourselves. What is enough? What do we need? Is that enough? What do we want? When we get it, is that enough? What's the next thing? Will there ever be enough? 
and what does enough look like? I don't know how your parents trained you with your bills and all that wonderful stuff, but when I was 16 years old, my parents gave me a checkbook, opened a checking account for me, had $200 in it. They gave me a Foley's credit card. Some of you remember Foley's? Okay. It had a 100-buck limit on it, so I had $200 in the, in the checking account and Foley's. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? You know, for your 16th birthday, that's a good gift. And then they said, no more allowance, go get a job. <laughs> no more allowance, go get a job. I'll tell you what, that $100 balance on that Foley's card got hit pretty fast. But I learned, I learned what was enough. I learned what it meant if I started to just pay that minimum payment. You know what happens in life if you just pay the minimum payment? Tell you what, minimum payments aren't enough for you to be okay as you move forward in that world. But it was a learning process for me. How many people do you know got into debt trouble once they graduated from college or got their first job because no one ever told them that there's a pace, please, you raised your hand, thank you. You know, what was enough? And no one had ever helped people figure out what that was when they did it. Man, so Solomon Shurton didn't ever learn it. Didn't ever learn. I love the way, too, Reverend Kristen kind of smirked when it got to that point. And Solomon's wives turned his heart away from God. <laughs> Which one of the thousand <laughs> turned his heart away from God? You know, sometimes when we aren't centered enough in God to be asking ourselves the right question, we do that. We blame other people. And so even as they're trying to lift Solomon up and tell a little bit of truth about him, you know, who got to blame? Those thousand wives didn't question why you had a thousand to start off with. My. So, Solomon, what is enough? I want you to try and imagine a time in your life when you felt like there was enough. Enough sunshine, enough food, enough love, enough whatever it is for you. Think about what it was to feel like there was enough. If you can remember that time, that place, what did it look like? Where were you sitting? Who were you with? What did enough feel like to you? Take that feeling, name it, warmth, hope, satisfaction, contentment, whatever that feeling of enough was for you. Then I want you to ask yourself, did it have anything to do with trying to get a thousand wives? What was it about? Most people say it was about the time my young daughter learned how to walk. You know, it was about that, that meal with so-and-so that day. It was enough. I felt it. It was good enough. So no running around scattered trying to get more, but right there in the middle of it, centered, being enough. And so we ask this question, and we learn it over and over and over again. After my third helping of spaghetti, oh my. I wished I'd learned enough was two servings before. 
you know, and that stuff does freeze, you know. <laughs> but that day, you just had to get that all in at the same time. What is enough? For me, it has something to do with white tube socks, bluebell chocolate ice cream, rocking chair, and sunshine. <laughs> Put all those together in whatever combination they are, and it's enough. It's enough for me. But then sometimes I get nervous and I get anxious. You know? And that usually has to do in my life around money. You know? And I don't know about you, but I, people have often asked, what is the most difficult thing to talk about, sex or money? Have you heard that question before? What's the most difficult thing to talk about, sex or money? Well, I've been here for only 90 days. I'm going to tell you it's not sex. <laughs> <laughs> what is enough for us in our finances? What is enough for us when it comes to money? What does it mean? And I get anxious about that. You know, uh, when they gave me that checkbook and that account, they said, you write the first check to church, and you write the second check to yourself, then the rest you can play with. Write that first check to church and the second check to yourself. And I have remembered that all this time, and I've tried to do that, you know, and most of the time in life I've been able to do that. I've been trying to learn and grow and be able to say what is enough, and I know that God and the scripture, they say 10%'s enough. You know, and sometimes 10% just seems too tall. You know, sometimes it just seems too much. And I'll say I'll incrementally go up to 10%, or I might say... I might say, I'll do 10% on my net. I'll do 10% on my net after my mortgage. I'll do 10%, you know, we make these rules up in our head of what that means. Because the question is, do we have enough? And what does enough mean? You know? And in our lives, sometimes we get confused about what that is and what it says and what our priorities are. I tell you, a decision Walter and I made yesterday Hopefully, we're closing on this house June 7th. Hopefully. I'll tell you what. <laughs> the mattress on the floor of my dad's house, second floor, after three months is enough. <laughs> it is certainly enough, and we look forward to having our own bedroom and being able to, you know, not have the dog look down at us in the morning. <laughs> It'll be a good thing. So when I tell you that money is hard for us to talk about, one of the most important things about learning about that is for us to be clear what it means to us. Money doesn't give us trust. Money is just something for us to use. It's something through which God can work through us to transform the world. You know, Dolly, hello Dolly, she says, you know, her, her husband Horace used to say, money's like fertilizer, spread it around. Spread it around. But sometimes we get thinking scarce and that we won't have enough. So what Walter and I did yesterday, we decided he's really going to start looking for work in July because then we'll be in a house, we hope, and we'll be able to have things around us and we'll be able to explore a little more. And we decided that one thing we wanted to make sure we did was that we paved our tithe to resurrection. And so in the offering today is a check for our 10% of the gross, uh, because I know once we get in that house, you know, that piece of furniture is not going to look quite right and we're going to have to buy another one, you know? 
And now that there's a bedroom that's big enough for a master, and not a master king-size bed, we'll probably want one and we'll want to buy that too. And then the sheets, and then the pillows, and then we want to make it look pretty, because we're gay, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so what I wanted to do before all of that was say, do what mom said, write that check. Write that 10%. And do it on the gross right now before you get into trying to do these other things because what's enough is what God has already done in your life. What's enough is the love that you've already been shown. And you know you can never, ever, ever write a check big enough. You can never, ever write a check big enough. But God says it's enough for you to trust and for you to live into what does it mean to be a tither on that. And I'm telling you this today specifically because we're starting the summer. And in the summer, traditionally, our giving goes down some because people are fishing and at the beach and traveling. And someone goes, yay! <laughs> and we need you to be sure that the church has enough. Enough for salaries, enough for the light bill, enough for the mortgage. And to be clear about it, I want to tell you that the church hasn't had enough. Um, and we have been struggling this first quarter to eke it out each month, you know? And this last payroll was really, really, really close. And so what we need you to do is to think about what does it mean that's enough in your life and that feeling you had, don't you want that feeling for your church? You want that feeling for your church too, that it has enough. Now we're doing some things here to be sure that we're careful about the money that you share with Resurrection. We've looked at the budget, and we've got it down to as lean and narrow as we can. And still, we're not meeting that much. Y'all adopted a vision budget of uh, over a million dollars, and um, we have cut that to 935000 And we've done what we can do faithfully as good stewards to do that. And what we want to do, what we want to do is we want to be able to start paying our tithe to the denomination because to the denomination, through the denomination, we transform the world. We reach people in Africa, in the Philippines, around the world, people whose lives are threatened every day, and we haven't been able to do that. And so what I want to ask you today to think about is as you make your summer plans, as you make your summer think about if you have enough and what that feels like, and pray about what it would be for the church to have enough of that. Part of what we're going to do is we're not going to replace an executive pastor, and we're not going to do that because we're not ready for it yet. You know? We're also not going to start a major capital campaign because we're not ready for it yet. So God has that for us, and that vision is beautiful, and we will reach that vision but in these developmental stages, as we're learning these questions, there's always a matter of timing. And so we want to do that all in good time. And you will help us do that. Now, if you feel guilty because I've talked to you this way this morning, I want to tell you that's not my intention. And if that's what you feel, then that's old stuff. And let go of it so God can work through you better. If you feel shame because I talked about money this morning, then not from me. That's old stuff. And let go of it. 
Let God work through you generously. Let God do through you transformation. Transformation of this church and transformation of the world. And so as we make these tough decisions, as the board is really seriously looking at it and has their retreat June 15th, keep them in your prayers. Because you know what? You are enough. The board, the leaders are enough. We together are enough to transform this place, to transform the Gulf Coast, to transform the world. Amen. Thank you.